And then my plug for small groups, I would just say discipleship, as Matt said, happens best along relational lines. And those kind of spiritual relationships are usually the first things to go. Everybody's busy. Everybody's got a bunch of stuff going on. And the easiest thing to cut are those types of intentional relationships. You're going to make sure your kids get to school and get to sports. You're going to make sure you've got something to eat and that you're, you know, you're finishing your work for your boss. It's just that the thing to cut for most of us, again, it's, it's our spiritual growth. And so you don't have to be in a small group. You don't have to be in a small group to be a part of this church. But I do think if you want to grow, you've got to be an intentional relationship. And small groups is a way of doing that. It's just something on your calendar where you know if nothing else for an hour and a half, two hours every week, there's going to be people who love me and love God are going to help me uh, or at least try to help me grow and who I can try uh, to help them grow as well. So I would encourage you when we're done, stop by at least one or two of these groups, see if you find something that fits. If you're struggling with that, you can reach out to Matt and he'll help you plug in uh, to something or at least try something out. Okay, this is the uh, beginning of the last week of these 21 days of dedication uh, where we're trying to submit, commit all that we are, that we have to the Lord to say, use us in whatever ways that you see fit. Uh, We've talked about pruning. We said that's God's work. So the Father prunes us. He cuts away, cuts, he cuts away from us everything that prevents us from bearing fruit. Last week we talked about abiding or remaining in Jesus. This is really our main responsibility in the whole process. We stay connected to Jesus over time. We said there's a passive dimension to abiding, which is resting in the already love of God. The only way to remain somewhere is to be there in the first place. So we're already in the love of God. He loved us first. And then what Jesus says is, well, just, just stay. Don't leave. Just stay in that place. And then we respond, the active dimension of abiding, of abiding, we respond to God's love through our obedience. Our obedience is our expression of love to him. So both that passive and that active dimension constitute abiding. Today we're going to talk about bearing fruit. We have a ton of stuff to talk about. It's too much. So you just grab on to uh, one or two things that resonate, uh, that resonate with you. So I'm going to read John 15, uh, just a few verses that we've looked at before. Before I do, let me give you a brief definition of fruit. Fruit is the, it's the result or the consequence of your mental, physical, or spiritual activity. So fruit is the, it's the result or the consequence of your physical, mental, spiritual activity. It's always external. It's out, again, think about the metaphor. Fruit is on a tree for all to see. You can taste it. So fruit is it's observable. It's, it's something that can be experienced by others. Again, by definition, fruit is it's out here. It's external for others to, again, taste if you want to use the metaphor. I think, I think in terms of two types of fruit, you don't have to. I think of personal fruit. So that's the Holy Spirit working in me, working in you to form and shape our character. You can think of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things. And even though those are personal, and in a sense that they, they're inward, there's always an outward expression. Like if we were to say Trent has self-control, the only reason we know that is because we can see him exercising self-control. Again, even though those are internal attributes, there's an external expression or they're not fruit. There's always that behavioral component. So there's personal, the Holy Spirit working in us. We're we're the locus of that 
of the fruit there. And then there's ministry. There's probably a better word. Uh, sometimes when we hear the word ministry, we think of only church work or people who work on a church staff. Not true. Um, but ministry, it's, it's others focused. It's, it's the ways in which we're loving, serving, and blessing other people. It's the Holy Spirit working through us to help us love, serve, and bless others. So when I think of personal fruit, I think of the Holy Spirit working in me. And when I think of ministry fruit, I think of the Holy Spirit working through me. When I think of personal fruit, again, it's, it's the locus of that is it's me. And when I think of ministry fruit, the locus is you. It's the result of our interactions with one another. It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, primarily the ones from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. It's, you know, the, the fruit, if I, if I welcome you into my home, hospitality, I'm not going to do that. But if I did, if I welcomed you into my home, the result would be you would probably feel awkward and so would I. Like there wouldn't be good fruit from that. That's why I wouldn't do that. It's not a gift for me. But for some of you, it is. And so the result of that action is somebody feels welcomed and known. A, a relationship is formed. That's the fruit. You, you get what I'm saying. There's always this, uh, there's an external component. And again, this ministry stuff, it's, it's the fruit in you. It's the fruit in somebody that you're interacting with. It's the fruit in you from me. It's the fruit in somebody else from their interactions with you. Got it? All right. John 15. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So that's not what we expected him to say. So we'll come back to that. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, what we expected him to say is you'll bear much fruit. But that's not what he says. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Skip down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in, the, in my name, the Father will give you. So John 15, the, the, the concept of fruit in John 15, it, it's fruit as the result of relationship. It's fruit as a result of remaining or abiding in Jesus. If we remain and abide in Jesus, then there will be fruit. We will bear fruit. We don't produce fruit. We bear it. We carry it. Again, think of a vine and a branch. The branch doesn't produce the fruit. If it's cut off from the vine, it, there, nothing happens. It's the actual, it's the trunk, it's the vine that produces the fruit, and the branch just carries it or bears it. And the same thing is true for us. In the vine branch metaphor, we mentioned this last week, the Holy Spirit's the sap. He's the one who, who conveys the life of Jesus into our life. And the life of Jesus in our life will produce fruit, both in us and through us. That's what he does. If you remain, if you abide, fruit will be the result. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. It's a statement of fact. However you want to see that, it will happen. When I think of John 15, it's a word of reassurance. It's a word of comfort. 
Jesus has said, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off. And so that can be scary. Whoa. Well, how much? What does that have to look like? How big? How right? How often? It can create anxiety for us. Am I in? Am I out? Am I going to get cut off? And Jesus says, listen, you're already clean. That means that's a play on the word prune. You're already clean, so you don't need to worry about this. You just, you stay connected to me, and the result is going to be fruit. You don't have to produce. You don't have to strive. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to carry this fruit that the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you as you remain in me. Again, it's a word of assurance, and it's a word of comfort to me. Fruit as the result of relationship. We don't need to focus on it. We just need to focus on abiding. That's our responsibility. The Father's going to do the pruning. We can trust him to do that. We abide. We both rest in the love of God and respond to God through obedience. And the result of that work or that responsibility will be fruit. And so, we don't, again, we don't have to sweat the fruit production. Just like an apple branch does not sweat whether it's going to bear apples. It just stays connected to the tree and that's what it does. And we will be the same. So there's fruit there as the as again as a result of relationship. But then there's this interesting verse, I think it was verse 7, the thing about prayer, like where did that come from? We're talking about vines and branches and then you say well if if you if we remain in you and your words remain in us, not will bear much fruit, which is totally what we would expect him to say based on everything else he said, but ask me for whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. What does that have to do with anything? And for some of us, hearing that can honestly be a bit offensive for us. Because we can look back and say, well, I've asked you for some things, and I ain't gotten them. And so it either kind of ticks us off that Jesus would say this, or for some of us it makes us think, well, I, was, I must not have really been abiding. So what's going on here? And I do think there's a connection before we get too far into it. I think there's actually a very close connection between bearing fruit and answered prayer. I'd actually say answered prayer is... That is fruit. That, they're the, that, you, that is the same thing. There can be other expressions of fruit, but one of the expressions is, is answered prayer. This is not Jesus writing, giving us a blank check and saying, hey, whatever you want, just ask and you'll get it. That's what it sounds like, but it's not. The condition is we remain in him and his words remain in us. It's answered prayer flowing out of relationship. And that's what's really important to keep in mind. So the idea is that as we abide in Jesus, that our hearts become more and more aligned with his. And so then the things that we're asking for are the types of things that he would be asking for as well. So if, if when we start this thing, uh, our relationship with the Lord, let's say my heart's here and his is here because we don't know each other very well. He's just brought me to life. I've gone from death to life. He's taken out my heart of stone. He's given me a heart of flesh, and I'm excited. And so I just start, you know, and I'm supposed to pray, and so I start praying for things, just praying for the things that I want to see happen. And some of it's youthful zeal and exuberance, and some of it's stupid, and some of it's selfish, and there's all this, and some of it's great. There's just mixture. But as I spend time with him, I start doing this. My heart becomes closer and closer to his my desires become more and more aligned with his. And those, those, that, that's, my prayers get answered more, not necessarily because uh, of, of anything different in terms of me, other than my desires have begun to shift and have begun to change. It's prayer that's rooted in relationship. God's not a genie in a bottle. He's a good father. 
And again, he doesn't give us a blank check because no good parent gives their kid a blank check. Nobody does that. And he doesn't do that either. He, he says, come on, let, let's do this together. As, as you spend time with me, as my word remain in you, you're shaped by these things that he's teaching us. We see, oh, this is how Jesus responds. These are the kinds of things Jesus does. These are the th- kinds of things Jesus prays for. My heart begins to become more and more aligned with his. And those are the prayers that begin to get answered. Now, you may say, well, that's well and good. I prayed for some really good things. They didn't happen. One of the ones that catches us all the time is around healing, isn't it? We pray for someone to be healed and they're not and they continue in a chronic condition or we pray for someone to be healed and they die. And so we start going, what's that all about? How is that a good thing? In heaven, there'll be no sickness and there'll be no death. So how come God's allowing those things to continue to go on? And it can cause us a lot of consternation. And honestly, it can make us, get, it can make us pull back and we start going, it's not true. This isn't true. Because I asked for something. I'm connected to you and I asked for this good thing and it didn't happen. And, or we just decide, well, it's just not God's will. And that can cause us to begin to question, is he actually a good father? So just a couple of things. If this is you, you need to talk to somebody, kind of work it out. Um, I'm not going to be able to address every situation from the front. Uh, but we would love to maybe help you walk through some of that process a little bit. But a couple of things for you to think about. One, was it not God's will? Maybe, maybe not. Again, maybe the thing you're asking for is not aligned with his will. But as you pray, he'll let you know that. And some of you have experienced this, particularly with some maybe who was uh, in a situation you were praying for their healing and they weren't getting better. And then at some point, maybe there was a shift in your heart and you realize, you know what? It would probably be better if they died. That's usually someone who's a Christian. And you're thinking, it's only an upgrade for them. It'll be sad for me. And for those of us that love them, but for them, it would be better. That's Paul, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And for for many of you, you've experienced that. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back first, and something is going to kill us. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily a fun thing that kills us. And some, again, for many of us, we begin praying for that loved one to be healed, and then maybe we begin to realize as we pray and spend time, we think, you know what? This may be maybe the best thing is for them to just be with Jesus. Again, sad for me, upgrade for them. So that could be. That's God answering the heart. And, and this maybe takes a bit of maturity to, to think through is that death is, is the ultimate healing for us now. Death's still an enemy, but Jesus has removed the sting from death. Again, still hurts us who are kind of left behind. But for the person who dies in Jesus, it's just an upgrade. And so there's, some, there's something there for us. To me, the chronic illness is harder than the death. Again, if it's a Christian, I, I'm sad, I can grieve, I can mourn, but I can say, okay, they're, they're with the Lord. But for the, the chronic illness piece for me is hard. That ongoing suffering is a difficult one. It's true that God uses suffering to make us more like Jesus, which is the ultimate goal for all of us. I don't necessarily think God causes suffering, but he certainly, it's a tool in his toolbox. It's something that he uses. It's it, the difficulty of suffering is, it's sandpaper. It's one of the things that he uses to form us and shape us. But it can be difficult when you start thinking about that for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And that honestly is a hard one for me to kind of get my mind around. And what does it look like to continue to pray, let's say, for healing 
for someone who does have a chronic illness, and that illness has extended for decades. And so the encouragement for me, and maybe this is encouraging for you, unless the Lord specifically says, hey, quit, like he did with Paul. Paul prayed three times, and God said, stop. I'm not going to do that. I'm not healing that. You're going to have that thorn in the flesh. So maybe God will say that to you. He's never said that to me about somebody who's in chronic uh, pain, but maybe he would to you. It's just to recognize there are people that Jesus healed after decades. There was a woman who was hunched over for 18 years and God healed her. A guy who was paralyzed for his whole life. And there's always tomorrow. I want God to answer on my Kronos time. He answers in his Kairos time when the circumstances are right. And so I want to encourage you again, recognize this is a promise. If we remain in him and his words remain in us, we can ask for whatever we wish and, the, and we'll get it. Verse 16, we were appointed not just to bear fruit that would last, but also we were appointed to ask what we want and the Father will answer. So I want you to hear that as encouragement to pray. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if this cup can be removed, like do it. Take away, take this cup from me. Like I'm thinking he knew it wasn't going to happen. He knew it and he asked for it anyway because it's what he wanted. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's the model for us. I want you to continue to express your desires to the Lord. I don't want you to shut things down. I certainly don't want you to try to outthink God. Well, let me figure out if this is what you would really want. If it's not, then I'm never going to. Don't do that. Just express your desires to him. And as you're with him, you're going to find yourself gravitating towards him. Your, your desires are going to become more and more aligned with his over time. But you begin by just expressing what you want and yielding to him as a good father. I know that sounds contradictory. I don't think it is. I think there's just tension there. But I know that can be a difficult one to, to hold on to. So I, want you to, I do want you to do that. As you abide, there's two things that you can expect. One, fruit will result. And two, your prayers will be answered. If you're not seeing those prayers answered, don't quit. Don't do that. Like, circle back. God, this is something that you, Jesus, you've promised this. It's red letters in my Bible. This is something that's a, this is a promise. So you got to help me understand why I'm not seeing that and see how he wants to lead you. I think it will be deeper. That's where I think he'll take you. And you'll, you'll, you'll learn some things about him, about prayer, and about yourself. Second thing, this is a hard shift. This is where we get to the too much information for one day. Matthew 7. But I think it's important. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Do they pick figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So this is one of the things sometimes it can be confusing in the Bible where Jesus uses the same term, but he's using it in two different ways. In John, we see fruit as the result of relationship. In Matthew, we see fruit as the revealer of our hearts. It's different. In John, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. The Holy Spirit produces fruit that we just carry. We bear it. In Matthew, we're the tree. And what's in us comes out of us. Our hearts determine the fruit. Good, good, bad, bad. 
Again, it's, it's same words used in different ways. Similar metaphor, but not exactly the same. John, encouraging, reassuring to me. You don't have to stress. You don't have to strive. You don't have to start counting. You remain. You just focus on that. You remain in him, and fruit will, will come. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in you, and the Holy Spirit will produce fruit through you. Matthew 7, to me, is a challenge. The fruit that you're seeing in your life, that's an indicator or a revealer of what's going on in your heart. Because your heart determines the fruit. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, the parable of the soils, parable of the sower. There are these four different heart conditions. And the condition of the heart, the condition of the soil determines whether there's a, whether there's a harvest. If the soil is hard, resistant, if the soil is rocky, shallow, if the soil is thorny, crowded, there's no heart, there's no fruit. If the soil is good, receptive, then there is. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And we see Jesus talking about the same thing here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. I actually think, as challenging as this can be, I think it's a gift. Most of us are not super self-aware. And most of us are incredibly good at justifying and rationalizing our behavior. And so uh, there's a sense in which none of us actually knows ourselves. You've heard somebody say, do you know what it's like to be on the other side of you? And most of us, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue what it's like to be on the other side of us. And, and, and fruit can be one of the ways that God shows us that. Because it's out here. And sometimes we can taste it too. And if we'll take advantage and say, you know what, this is a gift. I'm not going to justify. I'm not going to rationalize. I'm not going to blame my parents or what. I'm going to own that. That came out of me. This person, when they're around me, they're not leaving better. They're leaving worse for having been in relationship with me. If I'm willing to own those things, it's an opportunity to actually see, well, what's actually going on in my heart? If that's what's coming out of me, then what's in me? The binary can be hard for us, good, bad. It's either an apple tree or an orange tree. There's no hybrid that produces both. But we're a mixed bag even as we're following Jesus. And so I think, again, that's where things can get tricky for us, the, the good-bad binary. It's where the metaphor breaks down. I think there's, there's versions of bad fruit. And here's a few that I'm going to blow through pretty quickly because I just want you to see, it, just as an opportunity, God, would you show me? Is this actually what's going on? Is this, a, is this what's coming out of me? And if so, what does that reveal about what's going on in me so we can deal with that? Again, this is a different way of looking at fruit. Not fruit as a result of relationship, but fruit as a revealer of our hearts. I think it's important. So some bad fruit. One, it's rotten. That's an easy one. It's death. It's, it's sin. It's rooted in our sin nature. An easy one. Nobody loses their temper. You're exploding in anger. Call it what it is. You didn't lose it like you lost your car keys. You, you were sitting at a nine for whatever reason. And that's what you need to address. Why is there always a low boil? Why is that there? Is there something, like let's just call it, is there something rotten in your heart? And that's what's coming out. They pushed my buttons. Well, the reason they pushed your buttons is because you got buttons to push. If you didn't have any, they couldn't push them. Let's take ownership for our hearts. What's going on? Is there something, if you don't like what you're seeing, it's not self-control. 
It's not patience. It's not kindness. Kindness, think about usefulness. It's not gentleness. It's the opposite of those things. And let's say, again, rather than justifying, rather than blaming, rather than denying, rather than saying, well, I'm doing better than so and so. Like, okay, what's, what is this revealing about my heart? Is there something rotten in there that needs to be dealt with? Is this a place where I'm living separated, independent from God in this one area of my life? Take it as a gift, an opportunity to see your own heart. Another is it's, it's artificial or it's fake Fruit. That's actually what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. He was talking about false prophets. And he says they're wolves in sheep's clothing. That's where we get that phrase. Their outsides and their insides aren't aligned. There's a lack of congruence there. That's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy, it's a word from the theater. It's wearing a mask. So struggling with sin does not make you a hypocrite. That makes you a person. But willfully indulging in sin and then pretending that you're not, that's what makes you a hypocrite acknowledging I'm not sinless, I struggle, I blow it. That doesn't make, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying it, 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 everything's fine. That's what you're portraying and nothing is fine. That's what's actually going on. Again, there's a lack of alignment between insides and outsides, between hearts and behavior. And the result of that, it's fake fruit. It's image it's projection. And I think sometimes we do that and it's malicious. Sometimes we're doing it just out of self-protection and fear. We don't want people to really know what's going on. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't deal with masks. He deals with real people. So the sin, like he can handle that. He already has. That's why he died, was to take care of that. Like there is no sin that's too grave. There's no sin that's too great. There's no sin that's too deep or too prolonged. His blood covers all of them. What he can't deal with is faking He deals with reality and with real people. And if we're pretending, particularly if we're pretending to him, he can't do anything with that. Because again, he deals with reality. Is that a thing for you? When you think about the fruit in your life, is it just fake? Is it it an image that you're projecting? But it's not a true reflection of what's going on in your heart. And recognize your heart eventually will win out. It will. What's in there is going to come out last i think some fruit and this is a lot of us do this it's just immature like it's a good maybe a good beginning maybe but it's just immature it needs to ripen and i think there's a couple of reasons why fruit that we that that we produce is immature one is because we try to bear it or we try to produce it in our own strength rather than allowing the holy spirit to work in us and through us we say man i got a great idea and i'm going to make this thing happen what it oftentimes kind of devolves to is behavior modification, either in me or in you. When it comes to the, kind of that personal fruit thing, I'm going to be more patient. And so I'm going to snap the rubber band every time I become impatient. And all that does is hurt my wrist. Maybe if I have a lot of willpower, I can become, I can display a greater level of self-control in a certain situation, but I haven't addressed the heart issue, so it's going to come out sideways anyway. I'm not addressing what's actually going on. It's, again, it's self-help under a Christian umbrella. It's just behavior modification. Or, and this happens a lot when it comes to ministry, when I'm looking at you, I'm thinking, oh, man, I can tell you some things. There's some things you need to do. And so then I try, to beha- I try to modify your behavior. And then I get super frustrated when you don't follow my plan. Parents, we do that. I know what's best. 
And so let me figure out the carrot and stick combination to get you to do what I think you should do. And I get frustrated when you don't. So that's one of the things that can cause immature fruit is it's even with the best of intentions, it's in our own strength rather than a, a result of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And the, and the other, it's, it's kind of zeal without knowledge. It's this initial burst of enthusiasm and passion and energy, but there's no perseverance because life is long and at times it gets difficult and we get tired and we get bored and so we quit. I was growing in this area of self-control and then I got tired of controlling myself. I was, I was actively serving in this area. And they didn't say thank you. Who wants to do that? And so I quit. And that may be you. Again, it, the, the fruit there can be genuine. That's just not mature at this point in your life. we got to go. We're going to close with prayer. A couple of things. Three options. Maybe four. Pray along with me if you would. First... And this is real. If you struggle with your sense of um, the theological word is assurance that you know that you're in right relationship with God. If that's difficult for you, if you're constantly wondering, like, am I okay? Are we okay? I want you this week to, to, to marinate in John 15. Remain in the love of God. You're already there, so just stay. Trust that as you remain, the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. You'll carry the fruit, but he'll produce it. God, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone watching online, who doubts your love for them, who doubts their adoption. Would you remind them this week, Holy Spirit, spirit of adoption, as they've been brought into your family. And I also pray, just as an encouragement, that they would be able to see fruit. They would see the result of their abiding in terms of their own character and the impact they're having on others. Second, prayer. Again, this is a result of abiding. It's tied to fruit, answered prayer and fruit. Those are a lot of overlap there. But if that's a struggle for you, if, if John 15, 7 kind of sticks in your craw, let's acknowledge that. Father, I, I acknowledge this is something, it's a promise that you've made, spoken clearly by your son. I haven't seen it play out in my life. It's disappointing, it's frustrating, it's hurtful. I need you to help me. Help me to understand how this is true. For me. It may be going back to something in the past. Maybe dealing with it right now. I don't know. But I would encourage you this week. Spend some time asking the Lord. Show me. Show me. How is it that if I'm remaining in you. And your words are remaining in me. What is it for me to ask for whatever I want. That I will receive. Third. Shift fruit not as a result of relationship, but fruit as an indicator, revealer of our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see the fruit that we're producing? Not the fruit that you're producing through us, but the fruit that we're producing.
in our own character and in the lives of those people that we're interacting with. Show us. Do people leave us feeling small and belittled, insecure, angry? Are we cultivating love and joy and peace, etc.? We're not. Show us. We're not. We know that you're kind and gentle. You're not going to overwhelm us. We want to see this week. Give us eyes to see. And again, not so that we're ashamed or so that we move into defense mode, but as a gift to us to reveal what's going on in our hearts, God. If there are areas where we're living out of our sin nature, would you show us? Places where we're giving in to the world, the flesh, or the devil, and that's producing rotten fruit. Would you show us the places if we're being hypocrites? God, if our outsides and our insides are not aligned, God, I pray that you would give us courage. God, give us courage to bring into the light those dark things so that they can be dealt with. And God, if it's immature, well-meaning, but it's just immature, God, we ask for perseverance. We ask for wisdom. This fruit can truly be a blessing to others, to ourselves, and bring glory to you. So Holy Spirit, help us. Lead us, guide us so much stuff today. So I pray for the the bit or two of truth for each one of us, that you would bury that in our hearts this week, that you would, we would, we would chew on it, and it would produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.